Welcome back, everybody. Listen to another episode of Driving to the Basket, and this is kind of an unexpected episode, which I just felt like I should take a little bit of time, a little bit more time to talk about Asar Thompson. Now, the first of the draft series was about the Thompson twins, and it kind of skipped over Asar a bit in favor of talking about him. And Amen. I think I perpetually mispronounce his name. Uh, whatever the case, I feel like. And I could end up sounding like a complete idiot in about, well, a little over 18 hours when the Pistons are going to be actually on the clock and making the pick. But I feel like it's a fairly strong possibility that Asar Thompson will be the pick. And I felt like that though a couple of the, you know, really the last two episodes have gone over Asar a bit, I wanted to take a bit more time to talk about him in particular just focus on him in particular and yeah what, what I think about him and just kind of greater detail than he got in that first episode and looking back I really just never thought he would be a realistic possibility now I've softened on him a bit I'm not just saying all of this because I think he's possibly going you know very possibly going to be the pick if the Pistons remain at number five but uh I've spent quite a bit of time talking about what I don't really like about Asar. Uh, I'd like to talk a little bit about what I do think his upside is. So Asar is, would not be my pick of choice. I like him better than I like Jairus Walker, but he's not the player I would really look for with this pick. And the reason, I know I just said I would, I would talk about the stuff I do like about him. This is just giving some context. I think that as a scorer, he's very incomplete. He pretty much struggled from everywhere in, in, in overtime elite. His three-point shooting was the percentage was bloated by four games at the end of the season in the playoffs, in which he got super hot and sank half of his threes on the season in just that four-game span at a, at a very high three-point percentage, much much higher than the rest of the season. So his shot is still pretty shaky. It's nowhere near as bad as his brother's. Uh, his brother has horrible form. Asar is better off, you know, closer. He's he's on he's much closer to having a good shot, to having a functional shot, rather. So the questions about that shooting as a guy attacking the rim in a half court, like he shot in the low forties on half court layups, had issues finishing through contact, wasn't really getting there with a strong handle by any means. And you don't need a pull up mid range jumper in the NBA, but he was bad at that too. He's the kind of guy you can look at and say, okay, against the really bad competition he faced in the overtime elite and everything those two did in terms of their performance. This has to be contextualized by over by overtime elite. Uh, of course you can consider their for the Twins, you could consider their potential to be independent of the competition. That's that's anybody's, you know, it's up to individual determination how you feel about that. But uh, Asar in the half court was very bad. And he was saved from being extremely inefficient only by the fact that he got to the line a lot. That's another thing. Did he get to the line a lot? Because he was fouled by defenders who just couldn't keep up with him. And the OTE, bad OTE defenders who were all much less athletic than he was. Or is that something he replicated at the NBA level? But and even in OTE, he was not strong at attacking the rim. And he was going to get there a lot more quickly than he will in the NBA in terms of how, how fast the rim protection is going to arrive. It's going to arrive a lot more quickly in the NBA, and the lanes are going to be smaller and so on and so forth. Doesn't have the greatest touch at the rim. Not bad touch, and but not good touch at this point. So it, it was a tough time for him as a half-court scorer. And, and that's concerning. 
And so that's why I feel like his ceiling, or excuse me, his floor is potentially quite low because he's got a, a significant distance to go on offense. Now, the other question is, what's his ceiling? And it, it's tough to compute with a player like this when you look at him and you say, okay, he's got such a long way to go on offense. What can we say is his realistic ceiling? You know, you can look at many players and say, if they get everything together, this could be a really good player. But that's your question about uh, about Asar, with how long, with how far he has to go on offense, you know, uh, and, and especially with the struggles he had in, in a bad league. How likely is it he gets to that ceiling? Okay, so that's those are my misgivings about Asar, whom I think has very good potential. Okay, he is highly athletic, of course. Can't teach that. He's not the freak athlete his brother is, but he's a very good NBA athlete. How is he a top 10 NBA athlete? No, whereas his brother certainly is, but he's a very good NBA athlete. Not the sort of nuclear athleticism. I know that was that's really a Mike Breen term that he first used uh, about Russell Westbrook, who, say what you will about Russell Westbrook, the last few years was an amazing athlete and in his prime, an incredible athlete. But yeah, so it's, it's not like that incredibly explosive athleticism, but he can jump real high. He's real fast. He's, he's got a pretty good first step, and so on and so forth. So, And he can keep up with the guys. Real good lateral mobility. Uh, he's a good weeper. You know, not quite as good off of one foot, but still pretty good and very good off of two feet. He's agile. He's got good body control. Again, not quite as good as his brother, but, but he's got real good body control. You know, he's he's got a very good athletic profile all around. And, you know, he's already fairly strong already. He's certainly got space in his frame to put on quite a bit more mass. He's in the mid-210s at this point, I believe. And, yeah, so, I mean, speaking in terms of physical profile, he's gifted. You know, he's got things, of course, that you cannot teach. Athleticism is not everything in the NBA, but it's real nice to have it. He's a floor raiser. If you got bad athleticism at the NBA level, you'd better have some remarkable qualities to make up for it if you want to be a real good player. Like, for example, if you don't have the burst, that'll help you get past people. You better have an awesome handle on high basketball IQ, like Luca, for example. So having that athleticism is very nice, and he certainly has it. He's got good IQ. Seems like a guy who's going to make good decisions at the NBA level. He's a fast processor. Uh, he's a solid passer. You know, he, he has some work to do in terms of just finding himself a little bit stuck between the trees, as, as George, George Blaha would put it, and, and well, more accurately, kind of like in the air or in a highly compromised position where he just has to make a pass. That's a bad. That was a bad pass, even at the OTE level. But gifted playmaker, certainly. You know, there's no taking that away from him. Again, you can't teach that kind of processing ability. I, I think that he's he's got definite passing potential. Definitely good passing potential at the NBA level. Could be this kind of uh, even as a secondary guy, like maybe a, a five assist guy is really a tertiary playmaker. That's a valuable skill. A guy who's going to be able to make the right pass off the move. A guy who, if he ever finds himself as the handler in pick-and-roll situations, is going to make, be able to make probably the right pass most of the time. He's got good vision. He's a good passer. You know, is this just in terms of making the actual passes? And I, I don't want to be a broken record about this. Amen's better. Goodness, I always forget if I'm pronouncing that name correctly. His brother is better than him as a passer as well. You know, it's just kind of how it is. Uh, his brother has the higher ceiling. I would say that without hesitation. I mean, Amen is an absolutely elite athlete. He's got much better touch at the rim. He is a better passer and just a better creator off the dribble in general, though he's a worse shooter. But, I mean, just, just getting back to his uh, defensive potential, I think, is very high between just his natural athletic gifts when it comes to 
foot speed, acceleration, lateral mobility, length. You know, he's got around a seven foot wingspan, big hands that I, you know, is more on the on the offensive side of things. His hands are actually, as I mentioned, I think two episodes ago, a fair amount bigger than his brother's. You know, life just isn't fair. I guess just being an absolutely elite athlete and, you know, probable top five pick in, in the NBA draft is just going to have to be enough for his brother. So high, high defensive potential. Seems like a guy who's going to stick real well to other players, who's going to be able to probably, I would say, guard maybe one through four if he adds mass. Seems to have good instincts. He's going to be good, I think, on the ball and also as kind of a help side guy who's going to fly in and, and get his rebound, excuse me, fly in and, and, and get some weak side blocks. He's an engaged defender. A lot of his defensive upside does remain upside, but it's very much there. I mean, he's he's not a fin- one of these finished products defensively or really necessarily. Like there are guys who come into the NBA who are going to be really strong defenders off the bat. Not many, but there are some. And often when you're talking about a strong defensive prospect, you're saying, okay, we think he's going to come in and be strong right away. Like, for example, I think Taylor Hendricks will be. I think Jarris Walker will be. You could argue that Asar, who's not quite as NBA-ready as a defender, has higher defensive upside than the other two simply because he's just much more of that kind of defender who falls in the middle of the lineup, whereas the other two are bigs, particularly Jarris Walker is, is a big Taylor Hendricks is as well. I think he's got more positional versatility. A guy who can play some three as well. Both of them can play the five. Whereas Asar is the kind of guy who's going to be able to play more of sort of like primary, chase a guy around defense from one to four. And, and like certainly I don't think he'll struggle at all on guards. There's not really such a thing as lockdown defenders at the NBA level anymore. You don't get to play that kind of lockdown defense. And that is not just because of the changes to defense that have occurred over the years. It's just because it's so easy to get a defender switched onto somebody else through an off-ball screen uh, just or, or through a standard on-ball pick. So it, it's just so difficult to stick to guys anymore to play that sort of just lockdown defense. So it's being able to, number one, be able to defend the guy whom you ended up switched onto. And I think that we're not really necessarily as much talking about switch defense from the perimeter on and I, I mean Asar Thompson is not going to be attacked on switch defense he's just not you know and that's a it's rare that guys at, at his position which I think is going to be primarily small forward he'll play maybe down to some shooting guard and up to power forward in some situations he's just this is not the kind of player you look to attack on switches uh even again not really much of a thing in his position anyway unless you're attacking a particularly weak defender but you also have to have the defensive IQ to make the rotations, to, to make these split-second decisions at the highest level and make them right. And I, I think he's got that, definitely got that going for him. So, yeah, the defensive upside is, is definitely high. And, uh, again, I think he's, he just he plays at a different position than the likes of, of Walker and Hendricks. And, again, I think Walker is kind of like a 4.5. Hendricks is a 4. Asar is, you know, very solidly like in the middle of the lineup there. What I would call a true wing. You know, and, and just a guy who can really speed around and keep up with, with most anybody. So just plays a different defensive role. And I guess you could argue possibly a more valuable defensive role. That these are the guys who, I mean, there are of course defenders at other positions. 
like, well, we'll put it this way. I mean, the, the guys who have the most defensive potential and, and just in terms of potential defensive impact are going to be your bigs. I mean, particularly your centers. But, you know, after that, you could argue it's it's really just these switchable wings who aren't just kind of like okay on switches, who can actually, you know, who aren't even going to be targeted on switches, and who can who just have really the speed and the agility and the lateral movements and so on and so forth to, to just stick with many, many guys and play high-level defense on them and are very much perimeter defenders. So we've gone over the athleticism. We've gone over the passing vision. We've gone over the defense. And now when it comes to upside as a scorer, you know, what is a SAR's upside as a scorer? Can he get it together as a shooter? I'd say he stands a fair chance of doing so. Oh, something I didn't mention. Uh, by all accounts, he and his brother super strong work ethic. And just absolutely and completely obsessed with the game of basketball and, and would just work very hard to improve and, and work very hard in the court as well. And also should mention, this is along the same vein as his athleticism. He's a killer transition player. He runs the floor extremely well. If you let him accelerate and jump off the two feet in transition, he's going to absolutely dunk from above the rim. And talk about his vertical spacing as well that he can provide at around 6'6". You know, on cuts, and again, cuts not really a big source of offense at the NBA level, but uh, he, he can definitely provide some vertical spacing. And uh, in transition as well as a transition pass, he's strong too. So just a strong overall player in transition. Not going to be shooting those transition threes, but very few guys do that from on the ball. So that's just kind of a minor point. But his ceiling as a half-court scorer, a shot could easily come together. You know, shot could easily become good. It does with some guys, particularly those who, who are willing to put a ton of work and, and time and energy into it. It doesn't always happen. There are some guys who put a ton of work into it, like the Andre Robersons of the world, who just never get there. And Asar is working from kind of a low point in terms of his form. Uh, but something about him tells me that he's a guy who could, you know, who could develop into a reliable floor spacer. The question is, what can he create off the drive for himself? Is he a guy who's going to be able to overcome his struggles in terms of touch around the rim, in terms of scoring through contact, which you got to do at the NBA level? You know, if you're going to be a guy who's attacking off the dribble, you got to be able to score through contract contact. Excuse me. And like, you don't necessarily count on any guy to develop, you know, a solid mid-range pull-up. That's an incredibly difficult shot to convert on NBA acceptable efficiency. You know, if he can develop some sort of in-between game like a floater, cool. Just, you know, the question is, where can he get as a scorer? Again, he's a guy who has all the athleticism you could ask for. You know, who's got a decent enough handle, who's always going to be a threat to pass the ball. You're always going to have to respect that. You know, as an off-ball guy, you know, just attacking closeouts, assuming his shot is good enough for him to be closed out on, I think he'll be good at that. And it's valuable to have that guy who can attack closeouts and, and either blaze his way to the basket or make the right pass, both of which he will be able to do. He can absolutely make the right pass off the dribble. And it's not just going to be the right pass. It's likely going to be a good pass. And he's going to be able to probably find guys that the average player who's just attacking a closeout is not going to be able to. But what can he do off the dribble? Can he attack? Is he going to be able to attack mismatches, for example? He's got the first step. But, you know, where is he in that capacity is just as a handler? You know, if you get him a good mismatch, and again, I think he'll put on weights if you got put on weight, excuse me, if you got a guy who's, you know, I don't know, 220, 225, you know, who's, who's pretty strong at six foot six, 
Is he going to be a guy who's going to be able to get switched onto guards, you know, onto smaller guards, particularly point guards, and just attack them off the dribble? Is he going to have the handle to do that? Is he going to be a threat when he gets past them to score at the rim, you know, in situations when it makes sense for him not to pass, when it makes sense for him to score? He can elevate around the rim. You know, he's not going to have any difficulty with that. But can he improve his issues with touch? Can he improve his issues with scoring through contact? I think that's... So you have two swing skills there, realistically. I mean, you have the shot and you have his ability to score at the rim. If he can attack off the dribble and if he can and if he can shoot threes, then, you know, fantastic. You've got, the, you know, the makings of a very good player whom any team would want. These highly athletic 3 and D and drive wings, which, you know, you can, with passing upside on top of that. And that's not a skill set that many players have. And it's that combination, which uh, is certainly... The possibility of that combination, which is so, in, which is enticing to, uh, I would imagine, to many teams. I, I think the Pistons included, and this is going to have him. I would be surprised if he went outside the top eight. I'll put it that way. So, that's what you're getting out of Asar. The reason that I've been so low on him is just again that he's far from a complete product on offense, and that makes me worried about his floor. It makes me worried about his ceiling as well. And if I were the Pistons, you know, if I were making this selection, like if I'd really seen all the data, had him in for a workout and everything, and I felt really good about him developing a shot, you know, if I were able to take a look into the front office's data and the front office's experience with him and see, okay, this is a guy who stands a real good shot at improving in that capacity and being a reliable shooter, then fantastic. I'd feel a lot better about it. However, I don't have access to that data. None of us do. And it, it's just tough for me to look at Cade and at Ivy and at Duran, at all of whom need spacing. You know, Cade and Ivy for, for attacking the basket and having guys, not only attacking the basket, but having guys, a high percentage play finishers from the perimeter to pass the ball to. Not just, hey... You know, this guy can space the floor him and his defender's going to have to cover him. But, hey, we can get this guy the ball, especially if his defender collapses to try to stop one of those guys. We can get him the ball and we can trust that he's going to be able to shoot the three at a high percentage. So for Kate Ivey and for Duran, I mean, it's just spacing as a consideration because having, unless you've got some, like, super elite offensive players on the floor, and, and we're talking, like, you know, the Durant, Kyrie Harden Nets or, you know, the, the Warriors, I mean, it's it's real tough to have only three shooters in the floor. You got to be a team that's really not depending on those lanes to the basket. The team that that is really can easily just depend on extremely elite off-ball shooters or just guys you can hand the ball to and say here just you know create off the dribble. So you you can't really very viably. I mean, who knows what the future will bring in terms of development? But chances are you do not want another non-shooter on the floor with Duran. You know you. You've got him on the floor. You've, you've got to have four guys around him who can shoot. So it's not just Caden Ivey. It's also Duran because he's going to be, a, I don't think he's likely to ever be a shooter. Even if he can shoot, I mean, it makes the most sense for him to be around the basket. You're losing his rebounding. You're losing what I think will be pretty ultimately fairly high-level finishing around the basket. I think he'll get, I think he's likeliest to get it together as, as in terms of his layups. He dunks a lot, but he struggled on layups this past season. But he's going to be a guy you're going to want to have in the interior, hopefully, if he's, if he's serving as an interior passer as well. So 
and that's that's one of the misgivings that comes up when Walker is brought into the equation because I think he'll do a lot of his work from the interior as well. But he, I would just be very reluctant as the Pistons to sign on to the possibility of drafting worse spacing around Cade and Ivy. And, and again, you're not spacing the floor necessarily quite as much around Duran for that, you know, just for the possibility, you, know, you know, just for the purpose of having spacing around Duran. It's just that if you have him on the floor, you can't really have another non-shooter out there. You know, you only get one of those and you'd better darn well be at center unless you're a very special case. So that is my concern. Just the fact that we got to worry about the shooting in the first place. The shooting has to come along. No exceptions if you're basically any perimeter player and certainly in this situation. And if the shooting comes along, you still got a ways to go in order for him to be that sort of complete offensive player whom you would hope to be drafting at number five. If just the shoot, if just the shot comes along, then sure you've got a strong three and D wing, but you've you know you're, you're still left probably if you're the Pistons looking for your number three dude. And you know who knows? Maybe they're satisfied with him if he's just that strong three and D guy, and he can't really do much creating for himself. You know he can attack off the dribble from off the ball, and and be that sort of you know Phoenix era um, Mikal Bridges. I mean that's. Maybe that's something the Pistons would be satisfied with in a top five pick, and and maybe that's perfectly reasonable. I mean, you think about it, that's a, that's a very very valuable player. There is just part of me that's thinking, man, I'd love for the Pistons to you know get that guy who can really be a creator and really be that that number three option next to Cade and Ivy, both of whom I have a lot of confidence in. On the other hand, you hear me talking about how I'd like Taylor Hendricks. With Hendricks, I think there's something in the back of my head saying. You know, hey, this guy could get it together in terms of his handle. So, yeah, if if I could look into the Pistons, if I could look into the front office's information and say, hey, I'm confident that he has the shot, that he can get it together as a shooter, then I'd feel actually pretty decent taking him at number five. And maybe where that's where they find themselves right now. Because, again, that combination of high-level athleticism, high-level processing, you know, as a passer, the high defensive upside, I mean, if you're able to couple that even with, you know, a high percentage three-point shot, then you have yourself a very good player there. Not an elite player, but a very good player uh, who can play, you know, a major role as a starter on a contender. So that's how I feel about Asar Thompson. Of course, with where the Pistons are right now, basically anything can happen at the draft. It's going to be an interesting night. So as always, folks, thank you for listening. I will catch you in the next episode.